0: digital transformation case studies in the financial services space, the fundamentals of organizational change management and NetSuite versus QuickBooks. Those are just a few of the things we're gonna cover here today in episode number 106 of Transformation Ground Control.
1: This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. Here's your host, Eric Kimberly.
0: Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including change management, project management, software evaluation and selection, overall digital strategy, program management, all the stuff you need to know about digital transformation you can learn right here on this podcast. This is episode 106. As I mentioned, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. Excited to have you here and excited for today's episode. We have a few things we're going to cover. Uh, First of all, we're going to get into a couple of uh, financial services digital transformation case studies um, in the insurance and banking industries. Uh, in that same opening segment we're also going to cover some Q&A, uh, digital transformation related Q&A from our audience. And then we're going to bring our first guest on later today, Ron Lehman from an organization, a training organization called Highway of Change. He's going to be on with me talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management. Uh, last week's episode we had a, another guest that talked quite a bit about resistance to change and why it's so important how to overcome resistance, but we're going to go a little deeper today into uh, just change management tools and mechanisms and ways to execute on change management, so that'll be a a great conversation. And then later in the show, we'll have an interview uh, that Kyler did with Christy Barber, who is going to be on the show talking about the comparison of QuickBooks versus NetSuite. I know a lot of people listening to the show are smaller to midsize organizations that might have outgrown QuickBooks, or perhaps they're thinking about whether or not they should go with QuickBooks or, or perhaps NetSuite. So we're going to do a a bit of a comparison discussion there later in the show as well. But before we bring on those guests, let's uh, chat through some of the the Q&A and and case study items you've got for us, Kyler.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got some fresh questions in the question jar. Just a reminder, on each episode, I do feature audience questions that I ask Eric from all of his platforms, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, anywhere that you follow him. I do go in there. If you tag me at Kyler Cheatham directly, I'll make sure to Pull yours, um, but we've got some really good questions today, so let's get into it. All right. All righty. I'm nervous. I know some. One of them is kind of mean, so this is not. <laughs> well, don't it. that one. Okay. <laughs> um, how do you achieve overall IT and OT convergence on digital transformation?
0: Oh, that's funny. I remember seeing that comment that just recently on uh, YouTube. I think it was. Um, Yeah, so IT and OT convergence. Um, Well, so, so IT would be sort of, let's assume by IT mean uh, back office IT systems and then OT generally refers to operations technologies, which is generally more um, like in a manufacturing environment, you'd have your operations technologies that would run your, your shop floor and, and some of your manufacturing, your warehouse management, things of that nature. So if we sort of bifurcate, bifurcate the two. Um, you know, sort of back end, back office, uh, corporate office sorts of technologies versus the more product and customer facing uh, technologies. And it's a great question because it's really hard for for technologies to be good at everything. You know, to be good at the the back office and the the front facing side of things. And so oftentimes, what happens is you either you really have two choices, uh, really, which is you could you could buy a single system or look for a single set of technology that integrates across IT and OT, but you're probably going to give up and compromise on some of the functionality, but you're doing that knowingly in the name of integration and single platform. Or you could have different technologies, separate technology to handle your back office and another technology to handle more of the customer or product facing side of things, Um, in which case maybe you mitigate some of the risk of not having the functional um, capabilities you, you would require. But now you've created another risk, which is now you've got more integration and potential data issues and things like that. So it's a it's a trade off. But I I think uh, the key is really to understand and be deliberate about, you know, what kind of technologies you are going to use into the to the person's question there. uh, Ultimately, how are you going to integrate it either through one single solution or tying together multiple ones?
2: Yeah, and it sounds like that's a a pretty common and foundational theme of digital transformation is mapping out those integrations and how those systems, if it's one or many, will work with each other to um, get the desired business outcome. So definitely a great question to ask throughout the entire process.
0: Yeah. Great question.
2: Okie dokie. So this is a more of a comment than a question, but I think it's something that's really important to address this user said it's a nightmare to integrate different systems in a merger and acquisition scenario and i know you know that all too well so i thought we could kind of get your feedback on how to best address that in a in a company that is in a merger or acquisition scenario
0: yeah it is it is a nightmare it's it's interesting because we've got so many clients right now that are either trying to integrate their operations or they're trying to carve out or spin off a company from themselves. They've, they've sold the company, and now they've got to untangle the web of systems and processes they've built over the years. And um, so I, I think that uh, that's, that's, a, that's a real common challenge and something that we see uh, quite a bit is, is um, you know, it's almost like it, it, it creates more complexity because now you've, you've inherited all these different systems and processes and culture and people and organizational structures and things like that. And it's a lot more than just the technology, obviously, it's more than just trying to untangle the technology and put in something that's more integrated or more common. Um, and that's why so many mergers fail, quite honestly, is, is because they fail to integrate, first of all, the cultures of the organization. I think culture is the leading reason why failure, why mergers fail. Uh, but on top of that, even if your cultures do integrate, then the next risk point or the, the potential pitfall that's a pretty big one, is now you've got to figure out how to tie together all the operations and technologies and uh, you really maximize the business value of why you bought the company in the first place or why you're integrating the company in the first place. Um, so I totally agree. It's uh you know, merger and acquisition Situations are a lot more difficult and complex. I personally like them the best. I think, you know, of all types of projects, they're the, they're the most fun because there's so much opportunity to improve and add business value, but it's a, a lot easier said than done, obviously.
2: Absolutely. You, we know you like a challenge, so definitely.
0: Yep.
2: All righty. Let's see. You've got two here. Okay. Well,
0: the mean one. I'm, I'm ready for the mean one. Today. I
2: know. Okay. Well, this is not the mean one, but <laughs> okay. I'll find it next time. I promise. It just, okay. you know, no so reason. we can add a little spice to the overall Q and a, um, this one is what reason would you say poses the highest risk to a company looking to integrate S4 HANA, or SAP S4 HANA?
0: Say that again. What is the biggest risk to a company? Yeah, what
2: would be the number one? What is the biggest risk that you would um, say a company should be aware of?
0: Just the monstrosity of S four Hana. I mean, it's a big product, and SAP has always been known as being a big, complex product. Um, I don't think that's that's not their stated strategy is to create a big complex product. I don't think, but they do partially because of their their client base and who they're trying to. Uh, target are the big Fortune 500 multinational organizations. So the good news is they can handle a lot of different um, business processes and tons of capabilities. in S four Hana it's one of the one of the richest uh, systems in terms of capabilities and functionality. But with that richness of functionality and the breadth of functionality comes a lot of complexity. You make one small change to one part of a module and it it has a lot of upstream and downstream implications. So it just it's it's complex, um, but you know, there's a there's a good reason why so many organizations implement the product as well. It's it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like the holy grail of big companies that want that you know that that ideal system for a lot of companies. It is S four Hana, but the risks of getting there and the pitfalls along the way are pretty significant. So, I'd say the biggest one is just the the complexity um, overall, which affects your business processes. It affects the way you manage the project. It affects change management. It affects your solution architecture and integration. It affects data and analytics. It affects everything in the project because of that complexity. So, I, I guess it's it's sort of the core root cause of a bunch of other risks. Uh, I don't know if that's really answers the question, but that's that's where I'd go with it.
2: Well, I picked that one because it was it wanted you to name the number one risk, and I knew that was going to be a challenge. But you, you know where just, my
0: weaknesses are, right?
2: <laughs> so, and I'm going to go rogue actually and pick um, another one along those lines because I think it's interesting, but. If you um, haven't seen Eric's video on SAP S4 HANA um, risks and implementation risks, uh, it's available on its YouTube channel. It's one of the most popular and on TikTok. So I think this goes with kind of what you're saying um, and is a little bit of a a funny, um, I guess kind of mean, but uh, this user said, SAP is basically a box of dirty wrenches that you can assemble into a solution. But unlike Ikea furniture, not all the parts are in the box. (laughs)
0: <laughs> interesting um yeah that that's probably more true for s4hana than some of the older um sap solutions just because so much of it is still in development and in a work in progress whereas like ecc for for a lot of organizations that use the more recent or version of sap which was ecc prior to s4hana um that had been around for a couple decades so they had a lot of time to really fine tune that product whereas s4hana has only been out for 6 or 7 years or whatever it's been Maybe eight years by now, but not as long as ECC, so you know by definition, you're just gonna get um, less maturity as a result of that. but you know you're again you're you're trading that off for uh, you know more real-time performance in the the HANA platform and things that have potential upside that might outweigh that risk as well.
2: Sure, sure. well, let me see if I can find the um, mean, funny one here and we'll <laughs> we'll end
0: on a high note. How about <laughs> there we go. Save right. save the best one for next time.
2: Right. So um, this person says, you're missing a big component of why people don't like to change. It's because we've seen change fail more times than not.
0: Yep. Yeah, I don't think that's mean. I think that's true. I don't know what what video that was in response to or where I neglected to mention that point, but I totally agree um, with yeah. the fact that change typically fails and that creates sort of a snowball effect or PTSD of people that just have seen it before, they they assume that this project is going to fail like past projects they've seen. So I I think that's an absolutely valid point.
2: And that was on one of your resistance to change TikTok shorts. So the reason I pulled that is I I thought it was kind of funny because you always mention you know the change fatigue or the risk of of changing in an environment that has already failed. Um, so I knew that you would want to kind of clarify that piece of it and one but, time
0: i didn't i uh, get called on it one i know right
2: i, I know um, but if you do head over to eric's TikTok channel um, or our third stage TikTok channel and leave comments we often do answer those directly with videos um so not only are you able to kind of access us here and be able to answer those questions um but my last q a is actually for the audience um so eric i'll let you answer but mostly i'd love to hear from the audience here on um, this last one, so this was on why your ERP implementation fails video, and this mm-hmm. person said it's because of a missing digital mindset. So I thought I might ask you and the audience, what do you think an enterprise digital mindset means?
0: <laughs> I think I'm having trouble answering this question because uh, you know how I get—I get—I get twitchy sometimes, and I get triggered when I hear like buzzwords that are empty and digital mindset to me I just I don't even know what it means to be honest um I think I think I I know what it's trying to say maybe but I'll so I'll try to maybe interpret what the digital mindset is um I think digital mindset might be I might maybe rephrase it a bit just for personal preference as more technical maturity or um you know technical ease of technical adoption and having a culture that's used to change and innovation things like that so if that's what you mean by digital mindset, then um, I agree. Is it a comment or a question? No, I already forgot. I was it's so a triggered. comment.
2: It's a comment um, that it's, you know, one of the number one reasons ERP or digital transformations fail. Um, yeah. So, but I wanted to pull it because I think, like you said, it's, it's a very broad term, yet an important cultural term to have a, a digital vision or a digital strategy. So I wanted to ask kind of our audience as well, their definition of what, being, um a, having a digital mindset in your organization might mean
0: yeah absolutely and and I think part of the time i'm uh I'm so literal when it comes to words and choice of words that uh actually the audience could help me help me understand what digital mindset means to you or how you would interpret that I would love to actually see that because uh when I hear terms like that I, I don't I have to kind of redefine what I think it might mean. Um, But I think my takeaway, in addition to whatever the the audience might say, I wish I could kind of see their comments first and then answer, but uh, I'll I'll try to answer it anyway. But I'd say it's just more like, you know, the takeaway for me would be building the internal digital and technical competencies to be able to become more digital and innovative and uh, adapt to change in the future.
2: Absolutely. I think that, you know, that is a good holistic answer. So we'll hear from the audience and speaking of digital mindsets, if you will... Um, we have our other two case studies that we had talked about, kind of real real world um, digital transformation case studies that we looked at last week. So if you haven't heard last week's episode, um, you can find it wherever you get your podcast. We went through a few of these and saved um, a few to look at now. So Eric, I want to kind of read these to you and then get your um, overall feedback on some key learnings that we can pull out as a group here. So this this first one is a health insurance firm that um, transformed key processes and improved star rating so that was their overall goal and how they were going to maximize business value is that star rating so a fortune 50 health insurance organization with over 1 million contracted providers in all 50 states here in the united states they were facing several organizational and operational challenges including dependency on legacy systems, lack of automation across all processes, manual handoffs, and access to critical data. So what they did is they implemented a low-code digital transformation platform to transform several critical processes, handling handling appeals and grievances, providing contracting, Medicaid and Medicare enrollment, which are government um, overall systems here in the United States, claims processing, and complaint tracking. Um, The platform actually caters to over 10,000 users daily, increased efficiencies by 154%, and improved annual savings to $20 million, processed more than 5 million cases annually, and finally, it improved the company's star rating. So a win all around there.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's sort of that customer-facing um set of metrics you know that they're focused on which I, i find refreshing at times because so many times organizations focus on you know stuff that's behind the scenes that might be important but it's not really focused on adding value to the customer and making sure that their customer journey and customer experience is what it could be so that's pretty interesting
2: and i think it's especially um important to identify in that scenario they had over a a million providers so that means kind of of subcultures that utilize their own platform that they needed to kind of transform and hyper communicate with we see that a lot in bigger retail chains or um you know Large distribution companies uh, that can be really, really difficult to do. So I think it's pretty incredible that they, you know, not only save that amount of money, but were able to get those users onboarded and adopted to the new processes and platform.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal because that is a that's a pretty broad undertaking for sure.
2: Well, this next one um, talks about how a U.S. based bank um, transformed their onboarding. Uh, so this specific US-based bank wanted to offer a seamless customer experience across channels. So we're talking about portal, mobile, in-branch, contact centers, all of those different touch points with the customer. They wanted to be a cohesive, um, holistic experience and provide more personalized opening, uh, account opening experience. However, Their challenge was lengthy process cycle times and inconsistent onboarding experience marred their customer experience and increased that abandonment rate. The bank, what they did is they implemented a digital account opening system um, that integrated with 14 to 15 third-party systems, including core banking, funding, fraud check, debit cards, and much more. This solution seamlessly captured and extracted information from uploaded documents to forms to social media and performed real-time data validation and much more. Their results were, after implementing the solution, employee productivity increased by 300%, and the volume of new accounts opened through these channels increased by 10%. 10 times, increased 10 times, not 10%, 10 times, much more, you know. Right, <laughs> <laughs> the bank is also driving transformation initiatives across its commercial lending processes and offering initiatives to its retail lending processes. And that's our next step to the full third stage of transformation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like they had quite the journey and uh, had it pretty well laid out or planned. Um, and and you know you hit some good points, which are some of the moving parts and pieces of the puzzle that need to be considered with you know all these different legacy systems or third party applications that you need to interface to and make sure that you've got uh, you know pretty tight integration tight data tight business processes and one of the lessons from banking and financial services in general is there's so many regulatory requirements that you can't really screw that up. You have to implement it in a way that does the things the fourteen you know, systems you just mentioned that have to be integrated to, um, you know, you don't have a choice. Whereas a lot of, I think a problem with a lot of other industries is you do have a choice and you can slack off and not do the things you should do because you're not going to get fined and it's not necessarily a requirement. Um, So I I find that pretty interesting as well.
2: Absolutely. And I, I think the thing that I find most interesting about all of these case studies we cover in the last two weeks is the measurement component. They were really dedicated to measuring where their current state was, where they wanted to go, they put out their exact vision and goals they wanted to achieve, and then measured those goals at the end. And I think that really goes a long way to not only secure buy-in for those projects, but to congratulate the internal team and also ensure that you've created this culture that embraces that type of new technology as opposed to feels like they are resistant to it.
0: Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing after both sets of case studies over the last two episodes, um, including these two you just talked about, the same thing, the the focus on measures and focus on the end game and the end state of what you're trying to accomplish. um, That's pretty impressive that not only did they define that up front, but they went back and measured it after the fact to demonstrate and validate that they achieved the value that they were expecting to get.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed those case studies. If you do know of other case studies that you want us to cover on the show, um, feel free to tag me at... Kyler Cheatham on all platforms, um, or you can go ahead and pop them in the comments here, and I will pull those um, for our hot topics. We always want to talk about what our audience is is interested in, so this is really for you guys. So if you could um, you know, share with us, we're, we're always willing and appreciative of that. Um, but I think probably the underlying core reason that these case studies um, were achieved or achieved success is because of that fundamental change management piece, which I know you and Ron are going to go into some more tactical approaches to change management as well um, when looking at a technical implementation.
0: Brilliant segue and transition. Thank you. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I like how you went straight from case studies straight into the next segment. I like it. Um, makes, makes it a lot easier. Um, yeah. So it, we will. We'll have Ron Lehman on the show who is based out of Thailand. Uh, he's going to be joining me from, I think, 18 hours ahead or something like that, or 15 hours ahead, ahead of where I am today. Um, so Ron Lehman from an organization called Highway of Change will be on the show. Um, he's going to be with us talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of what it means and how it works, Why it, not only why it's so important, but more importantly, how do we execute a change management plan or what are, what are some of the most important things for us to consider? We're going to have Ron on the show, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
2: Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to transformation ground control episode number 106 this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation including the people process technology and strategy sides of change you can find new episodes every wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world as well as streaming to youtube linkedin facebook and twitter our next guest is uh, ron lehman he's a first time guest on the show has never been on the show before and uh, he's going to be on the show Or actually, before I introduce him here, here though, uh, he's someone I've known for a long time. I've I've known of him in the the industry. We've interacted for, I think, over a decade. Uh, Time flies, so it's always hard to gauge. But it's been many years that he and I have known each other, so I'm excited to finally have him on the show. He's a fellow change management practitioner and expert in the space. Um, Based out of Thailand, he's a change management trainer. And uh, he, in addition to being a change management consultant in his past, now is a... um, is the trainer lead lead trainer on a change management um, change management online training course? So we'll let him describe that in a little bit more detail. But uh, all that being said, Ron, welcome to the show.
3: Uh, thank you for having me, Eric, and welcome from Thailand, um, where it's ten o'clock in the evening. Uh, yes, but it's not not quite my bedtime yet. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you for being here. It is getting a bit late. Uh, your time, just just when I. I was about to complain that it's early my time. I I, guess I shouldn't <laughs> complain because uh, it is later where you are for sure. Um I've, so tell us
3: Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go I've done le- I've done later sessions. I've done one o'clock in, in the morning sessions. So this is this is early for me. Sorry I interrupted.
0: That's all right. You're used to accommodating the the global uh the global world that we're in. So that's great. Um, so tell us a little bit about you. You mentioned you're from, you're in Thailand, but maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and your upbringing in oh, the world right. change management.
3: Very, very quickly, my life story is: I'm actually half German. I was born in Germany to a German mother, English father, who was in the forces. Um, I spent the first five years of my life in Germany, and as my father was in the forces, he moved around a lot. Um, so I've been in. I did my secondary schooling in Malta. middle of the Mediterranean which was great Um, and then we moved back to the UK I had to find a job so I joined the Ministry of Defence as a civilian not in the army Um, and I think That was when I was first introduced to what I would call change management, but before before it was called change management, because um, I went on a three month intensive course at what was called then the Royal Military College of Science, which is now the Defence Academy. And it was a course called work study by somebody called RM Curry. You nodded your head. You know what it is, and it was all about method study and work measurement. So you studied people's way of working. You measured their ways of working. You uh, made their work ways of working more efficient. You got them to change, and you remeasured it to see how more efficient they were. So effectively, it was you know early change management. But right. I didn't call myself a change manager till the mid '90s. Um, I left the MOD after a long time. I joined a bank. Or a building society, as was, but that converted into a bank um, called Abbey National, then Abbey, which is now Banco Santander. As a uh, systems analyst, uh, then a productivity officer, and then a uh, project manager, and various different things. Um, I left there after eight years, went on the contract market in the UK, um, basically working for myself through my own company. And so from 1996 to 2011, I was on the contract market, worked in about 30 odd different um, industry sectors and implemented change management, change managed, sorry, many technology implementations. Um, And then um, I started coming to Thailand in 2007. I'm nearly finished now. I met my wife here. (laughs) Um, She came back to me in the UK. 2011, we made a conscious decision to move over to Thailand. Um, I be and that's how I've been in Thailand for 2011. Um, so 11, 12 years. And I've done a couple of gigs over here in two in Singapore, an SAP implementation, and a head office move, I did a Salesforce implementation in Indonesia did an SAP implementation here in Thailand. So I've done a few gigs here. But three and a half years ago, I Hung up my consulting boots, and I am now a change management trainer. (laughs) Right. So that that's about it in a nutshell.
0: You're training the future change management experts of the world.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's 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 quite it's quite funny that you you this is called the fundamentals of change management because that's what my training used to be called, but tomorrow. I'm going to make the announcement that I have changed, rebranded my course, and it's now going to be called driving change management instead of the fundamentals of change management, because I believe it's more than the fundamentals. Yeah, there is more right. about it than just the fundamentals. So.
0: Right, there's leading it. In the, and I like the word driving because it it, it suggests that uh, there's a there's action being taken or that you're moving the organization forward. So absolutely,
3: we'll, uh, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about
0: the course, Um, you know, you see, so you're a, oh, you're a change course. management trainer now, you've got this online course, tell sure. us about what it looks like.
3: Sure. The course is, it's a total of two days, but it's split into eight two-hour modules, um, and it starts off with things like organizational readiness assessment, um, talks about um, the psychology of change, um, talks about how the brain reacts to change, change resistance, using change agents, et cetera. And and then it moves into what I call my practical framework approach to change. Okay. it's a a framework that I developed way back in 2005. Um, And it starts off with three foundations, which are sponsorship, uh, oh dear, 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 stakeholders and communication. And then the building blocks on those foundations are process change, organisational change, a uh, impact analysis, training management, business readiness assessment, usage and adoption, business benefits and continuous improvement. And that's basically my framework approach. And um, it's a modular thing you can use sure. it in its entirety or you can actually um you know use parts of it it depends on the initiative you're working on basically um but it's it's uh, quite popular i mean you know i've had quite good feedback from my trainees who've been through the course I've, i mean i've got four trainees on the go at the moment and a few more in the pipeline and the feedback i've had has been very positive because they all said it's doable it's easy it's simple and it works so
0: yeah. Yeah, that's great. But I I can you... always
3: I can always do with more trainees. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, shameless plug there, right. <laughs> no, that's, that's great and, and to be uh clear or candid I guess with the audience, the fundamentals of change name for this uh, discussion I actually stole from you in your course, so thank you for uh, giving me the idea. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For what to call this. And I and yeah. I thought it'd be a, a good conversation for us because you're a trainer and you're you're training the future you know, change management leaders of the world, we thought it'd be good to get into some some of the fundamental aspects of, of really a lot of the things you just rattled off, some of the core things like change impacts, sta- stakeholder analysis, yeah. those sorts of things, we'll sort of get into the nuts and bolts of what those things are and why they're important. Um, yeah,
3: it does, but, it does actually get into the nuts and bolts, you know, it actually goes into quite a bit of detail. So,
0: Yeah, that's great. Now, why did you, you, you started to allude to this, um, you know, sort of the, your your natural progression into change management, even though you didn't call it that until you were in the mid '90s. You didn't you didn't really. Uh, it's almost like you yeah. didn't uh, you didn't want to admit that you're, you're a change management uh, expert until the <laughs> mid '90s. But uh, how did you how and why did you get into change management? Why why this? Uh, area?
3: Okay, how did I get into it? Um, obviously with the MOD work that progressed, um, and while I, I had a sojourn um, for about two four years into hr would you believe um still within the ministry of defense but one of the jobs was as a um what they call an admin officer for the british forces broadcasting services in in the in germany and apart from being an administrative officer i got myself a radio program so <laughs> i was a part-time nice. dj as well <laughs> nice <laughs> um, moving on from there when i moved back i, I joined What's called the Small Systems Group, and it was it was my first introduction to technology, technology change, and basically what it was was areas where the British Army were based would request a system, a small system of some kind, to replace their manual work. We, as a team, would go out, we look at the way they were doing their work assess the work and see if they actually could help with a small system. And we either recommended it or not. Then I left, as I said, the um, um, MOD joined Abby and I won't go into detail about what I did there, but it was various things and it was never called change management. But when I went on to the contract market in 1996, I started off in process work because that was really my background. Yeah. And in, I think it was sort of late 90s, I was working for the Bank of Scotland, as it was then. And it was doing process work and it was a core banking implementation. And, you know, we were there as a team and um, we had a a sort of like a team meeting and we said, "Um, we're missing, we're missing something here. I said, we're doing all this process work. yeah." we're actually missing the implementation piece, how are we going to implement it? Mm. And that's when the name change management came up. Yeah. So it was like, you know, part of the history of change management is in in the 1990s, it started to get a name in in, in the 2000s, it became more formalized. And I just happened to start calling myself a change manager after, you know, doing the implementation work for the Bank of Scotland. And I just went from there, so I kind of fell in to change management, if you like. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, I've got to admit, I have to make an admission here. I've <laughs> this never be good. Been trained. I've <laughs> never been trained. I've never been certified. Uh, what I lear- what I have learned, is actually everything is been doing the job. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, that's an admission. Actually, right,
0: which I which mind. I think could be a, could be Sorry. a good thing because you're, it could be a good thing because you're making it uh, less academic, which I think sometimes change management can be too academic, and you're making it more right. pragmatic and applicable. I that, would say, yeah,
3: that's a good point actually, Eric, because I try to keep away from academia. I I I, I won't say I despise academia. I dislike <laughs> academia, right? Because it is too formal, it is too theoretical, etc. So everything I do is on a very simple, pragmatic basis. Yeah. And that my course is exactly that it's in simple, simple terms, simple language. And, and that's the way change management should be, because there's, there's, there's too many change managers out there who try to complicate change management. And basically, if you think about it in a logical way, change management is not really that complicated. Right. Right. Says, says he who's been doing it for goodness knows how many years. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's, I'd,
0: say, I'd agree with that. It's difficult, but it doesn't need to be complicated. You know, I think ch- change is difficult. Change management yeah. doesn't need to be uh, absolutely engineered.
3: Absolutely. Right. Yep. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, good point. Well, so um, just before we jump into change management um, here too, I'm um, just real quick side note. Um, I know, and I did actually, I've known you for a long time um, yep. in the industry um, probably I feel like I've known of you, or we've interacted for at least ten years, or maybe more. Uh, <laughs> but one thing I did not know about you until I was sort of researching you and just looking into your background to come up with good questions for you. Um, one thing I know learned that I didn't know is that you're also a part-time artist. So I'd love to hear more <laughs> about. I, I, I okay. know you're a DJ. You mentioned that, but what about this art thing that uh, you're doing? You right. Do on if I
3: move or, to if I move to one side, okay, you can see just here behind me. These are. Yep three of my artworks. um, They're part of my um, art in architecture collection. It's a very, it's a very difficult um, thing to describe. But it's all about sourcing images of, you know, architecture, right? In this case, cutting, slicing, dicing, sticking into a formal structure so you still get the basics of the building like the great, the black and white one here whichever side it is is the lahore fort okay in pakistan um, right. you still get the basics of what the building looks like but it's it's not <laughs> if you know what right. i mean right. and i've got tiger collection um elephant collection um flower collection etc and it takes if I put my mind to it, it takes me about a couple of days to get one of the pieces of work done, you know, but you have to right. think about, you have to source the right images first from, and I source it from the internet, basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've currently got an exhibition in a upmarket restaurant down the road from me and um keeping my fingers crossed that I might sell a few.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, very cool. I, I, I'm not familiar with that style of art, but it's very cool looking. So I appreciate you sharing that personal story there. You think about change management and you've got a project manager or project management PMO function, you've got these two distinctly different areas or parts of a project, different skill sets, but yet both important and yet they both need to integrate. How would you say that you know, what, what would you say are the major differences in commonalities between project manager, project management and change manager and change management? Um,
3: yeah, so that's a very good question. And it's one of my um, one of my pet themes, um, as well as the 70% failure rate. <laughs> um, right. I've I've delivered um, over the last two years, 21, 22, about 30 sessions for Project Management Institute chapters on PM versus CM. and um, the main differences I see is the kind of mindset that a change manager has, and the kind of mindset that a a project manager has, I used to be a project manager, I am still a fellow of the Association of Project Management in the UK. So I've changed sides, if you like. And the reason I changed sides is because I didn't have that sort of statistical, very focused um, um, mindset that you know, focused on targets on timelines on quality gates, etc. I'm more of a people person, and more of a a flexible type resource when it comes to change management. So um, change project managers, um, the latest PM box seven, I think, got about 400 pages (laughs) and they they do a lot they're starting to call themselves change makers actually and they do a lot in that in the pm box there's a lot of stuff about communication about stakeholder management etc which kind of confuses me because um i personally don't think that a project manager um has the time the capacity or the capability to be a change manager as well there's a but there it depends on the size of the project and so forth but the main difference is the mindset it's it's uh the, you know um, the, the project manager is very 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 focused on statistics on timelines on deliverables etc change manager isn't and then the, the one key difference is that when a project manager has delivered to time cost quality and scope go live thank you very much that's it. They're done. Finished. I've finished. Where's my next project? Whereas us poor change managers, yeah, okay, benefits realization, reinforcement, sustainability, um, uh, usage and adoption, etc. And we spend a lot of time after go live on the project actually doing those things that the project manager has washed their hands of, if you right. like. Their um, job so, is done, but in, in ways, little,
0: your, ours is just yeah, beginning yeah. at that point.
3: Yeah, yes. So it's, it's it's a mindset thing. I'm not saying I'm not saying they can't. Yeah. And I'm not saying they can. But it just depends on different factors. I think a very quick bit of a dirty sort quick and dirty research. Um, some while ago where I said to put off oh, from project managers and I asked them, how difficult is it? If you do both jobs to do both jobs? Yeah. Fifty-six percent came back as saying it was either very difficult or quite difficult. Hmm. So, it's it is it is difficult because of you know and because of the, the size, the scope, and all sorts of stuff, and the different the different mindset you have to use when you're dealing with stakeholders or senior management, etc. Yeah. So, that's yeah. the key. That's the key difference, I think. And if anyone wants me to provide a PM versus CM session for them, I do them for free. Interesting. Okay, well, that's (laughs) good to
0: know. And especially if you know, I I imagine that'd be applicable if you're a change manager wanting to learn more about project management, or if you're a project manager wanting to learn more about change management, it seems like, uh, you know, I think I I think one thing you bring up, though, that's really interesting is that I think having uh, some Fundamental rudimentary knowledge of both is really important. So if you're if you're a change manager having some basic project management skills, and if you're a project manager having some basic change management uh, skills, I think that integration is really important.
3: Yeah, I've actually I've actually trained quite a few project managers, I've taken project managers through my training, and they've loved it because it's given it's given them that extra piece of um extra what they call it arrow for their bow. You know, right? They they've loved it so.
0: Right, Ar- arrows in their quiver is that the the cliche. I'm really bad at cliches, so you're, I'm probably the last person you want to be asking. But <laughs> We're here with Ron Lehman talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management. We have a lot more to cover, but first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event it's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you have missed it or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation, all that is stuff that you'll get by registering for stratosphere 2022 replay and again go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event so hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening we'll see you soon Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. We're here with our discussion, having a conversation with Ron Lehman, talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management. But um, here's a, a comment here from from Gary, who you mentioned a moment ago, Ron. Uh, but his comment here is change manager is more of an open scope situation, trying to close the scope, then turn over to PM.
3: Um. What are your thoughts there? I, I, I don't think I'll agree with that. <laughs> um, I think I think that, yes, the change manager is an open scope situation, but they don't try and close the scope because the scope of change management, I don't think, ever closes. Because even after you go live, people do not adhere to whatever the solution tells them to do. They will all find always find something different. So right. you will get some kind of change even after the project, closes at go-live yeah so you know the change manager is probably needs to be there all the time if if the budget and the time scales allowed it but um, yeah it's it's a difficult one Um, but you know the project manager when they say I finished I'm done and they go away and there's all that work that is still needs to be done. And yeah. more if there's if the change manager doesn't do it, it's left, it's left to the business. And they're not always the most competent at doing it. So right.
0: Yeah, agreed. Now what about on the business process side of things? We sort of talked about the commonalities and differences between project management, change management. What about if we turn to change management and business process management? How how can or should change managers and business process managers together i've got i've got a
3: video on my youtube channel that talks about that i can't remember the name of it but if you want to have a look at my youtube channel it's called the highway of change you ask i answer um they work hand in hand the first building block of my framework is process change okay um you can't expect if you're in the role of a change manager you can't expect the change manager to actually deep dive into process management or process design, etc. So um, in previous roles that I've had on the contract market, I've always used a process um, analyst, and we worked in close uh, collaboration with each other, um, because they're providing, you know, a view of the as is. Yeah. And then obviously, all the gap analysis and stuff, and then a view of the to be, and obviously, the and, and then the impact of the, the, the difference between the two. And that is what the change manager needs to work on. Once they get that gap analysis, once they get that impact analysis, where the biggest gaps are, and where the biggest impacts are going to be, then right. they can work on those gaps, because process management is logically followed by organisational change. Because if mm-hmm. the processes change, it's likely that the organisational change will change the organisational structure, and then Once both those have changed, then you have to determine what the impact is on the business. So you work hand in hand, process analysts, change managers work hand in hand. There are or have been occasions where process analysts have worked for the project manager. But obviously, if you're working, if you have a good working relationship with a project manager, if you're working in true collaboration with them, then that's not a big deal because you can sort of, you know, take over the process, the process, the process uh, uh, analysts and get them on the side of the change management team. <laughs> right. But right. yes, but it, it, it's, it's a very close relationship. Because I believe, because I come from a process background, that's what I was trained on. I believe process is the start of everything. Yeah, yeah, I, You got I to agree. know, you got to know your processes. Yeah. If you don't yeah. know your processes, how the hell are you going to change?
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you you highlight two fundamental challenges, one with digital transformations in general. One is that organizations oftentimes don't have a clear vision of how their processes are going to change. And then secondly, a lot of times change managers or change management types don't view that as their job. They view their job as I'm just the change person. I don't need to understand the processes, nor do I want to understand the business processes. And I've met too many change management consultants and types that think that it's too much of a, a silo or
3: over yeah, the wall sort of thing uh, that's quite funny actually because um uh, it's one of the things that the trainees always ask why why are you teaching us about process because yeah. what does to have know to do with about change answer, process. you need to know about process change yeah because that's where it all starts that's where right. change starts like.
0: yeah absolutely Total, totally agree and like you said you don't have to be a a process reengineering expert or a, you know, Lean Six Sigma necessarily, you know, a Lean Six Sigma certified person. But if you have um, just that foundational knowledge of the operational piece of it, that's super important yeah. uh, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, um,
0: absolutely. So I'm curious to know too, I, I get the sense just from knowing you over the years that you're maybe a little more technical or you have more technical understanding than the average change management practitioner that I've encountered in in my life. Would you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts?
1: Uh,
3: To an extent, because the majority of my change assignments, certainly the 20 or so when I was on the contract market and before that was all technology change. Um, But there is a limit. There is a limit. As a change manager, you don't really want to again deep dive into the technology side of things what you need to know is how that technology and how the new processes and potential organization redesign is going to impact the business and if you know that then that's all you need to know, you don't have to go down to the nth degree of detail and know every single part of the technology and what it's going to do, etc, etc. You need a sort of call it a helicopter view, if you want, you need a helicopter view of, of, of how it's going to impact the business. And it doesn't take long to do that. Once you know, one technology, it's kind of the same for every technology. Yeah, if, if that makes if that makes sense. Yeah, so it does, you, could yeah. Be, you could be implementing SAP or you could be implementing a core banking um, application or you could be implementing something else. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Um, it's still a technology. It's still going to impact the business. It's still going to change your processes. It's potentially going to change your organizational structure and so on. So have enough knowledge to be able to if you want, for, for for want of a better phrase, fight your corner when it comes to meetings with the project manager in the steering group.
0: <laughs> right now, along those lines, you you bring up a, a good segue to a question here from Laurel on LinkedIn, and Laurel asked, "Change management often ends. Change management often ends up reporting up to the project manager, at least here in Canada. Which I think that's I've seen that in, in plenty of places, not just Canada or North America, but I, I've seen it elsewhere in the world too. But if we if we see the change management reports up to the project manager and the PM does not understand or support change management, it's very challenging to good to do good change management. Do you have any yeah. advice for experienced change managers working with PMs uh, who are resistant to to yeah. um, work in change management?
3: I think I think it's the the the, the issue is that um, it's the the experience, the knowledge, and the know-how of the change manager, and how they actually, when they first start an assignment, is how they actually position themselves. And myself, I'm a fairly open, gregarious type of person. (laughs) So I would always say, we work in collaboration with each other. I don't report to you, you don't report to me. We work hand in hand, yeah, because we both want the same things. We we both want to deliver that solution to the business on time, on budget, etc. Yeah, so you know, I don't want to be reporting into you because you may not understand some of the things I said, and that was quite prevalent here. Just an anecdote um, here in Thailand. Here in Thailand, they don't do change management, by the way. They 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 have the Nike approach, which is just do it. You know, get on with it. (laughs) Because I (laughs) said so. (laughs) (laughs) And that was it was prevalent very prevalent here because I did report into the project manager and he had no understanding of change management. So when I was presenting statistics like business readiness, how ready are the business for go live, and it was showing that they're really not making much progress, or we had a problem with training and I raised some issues. I red flag training and they just like said, I don't care. Yeah, change it right. to orange. Yeah, you can't red flag it. I said, well, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change it because I believe there's a problem. Yeah, so it depends on the kind of experience you've had, the sort of how you are as an individual um, and I, I, I believe, I believe that, you know, you are equal in terms of reporting into the steering group, etc. And again, I've referred to my training, part of my training is about collaboration, and working together, getting change management activities into the main master project plan, so it becomes visible. Yeah, because if it becomes visible, then the senior managers, the steering group, the, you know, whatever, they will notice that ah, change management activities, oh, communication activities, great, business readiness activities, great, usage and adoption activities, great, and they, you know, all of a sudden it becomes important. Yeah? Right. The only yeah. problem is that you know, and I don't know how how. Um, big this issue is. But in my experience, when I was on the contract market, I was always bought into projects late, two or three months after mm-hmm. Um the, I mean, the projects I mentioned here in in, in Singapore, um, I was bought into both of them late. And the problem yeah. is with that, then you're chasing your tail, you're firefighting, and you, ne- you never really get done what you want to get done. And you're always answering to the project manager. Yeah? and you And it always ends up in some kind of fight not physical (laughs) but verbal and that's not good for the project okay
0: no especially because the technology is always going to change faster and and move faster than the human change management piece of it so there's always going to be that tension between we've got to deliver our technical deliverables over here on one stream and then on the other stream you've got the change side which is well the people are changing a lot slower than you're implementing yeah, the technology. Exactly. and That's the, the natural exactly. tension, I think.
3: So uh, it's it's about getting on with each other. It's about building a relationship, yeah? build, build a, a sort of a collaborative relationship, and and you know, make it very clear what your roles and responsibilities are, and find out what their roles and responsibilities are. And if any of them cross over, then you have to make a decision of that whether that's a joint role and responsibility, or whether one party can take it from the other
0: right right yeah, and here's a, another comment from gary he says i've i've had situations where a technical project engineer is joined at the hip with me so <laughs> working, working more in parallel and integration uh between the two streams there which is really important yeah interesting absolutely um, what about this question from kyler on linkedin kyler asks what would you say to a project stakeholder that says we don't need organizational change management we have training <laughs> or, or, or we, we, yeah we've already addressed it we've already addressed change management we've got our training plan the users are going to get trained uh, what would i say uh,
3: what would i say i'd say
0: you have to be politically <laughs> correct though like what, what you really say i'd
3: probably be very open with them i said um i would i would ask them what they know about change management i said okay you've got training Okay, so is that is that what you know about change management? Is that is that change management just training communication? Right. Yeah. Um, do you know about people's habits? Do you know about people's mindsets and behaviour change? Do you understand how the brain works in terms of you know change, how it reacts to um, flight or fright? Do you understand that you know, or there's all this stuff that comes after you finish the project? And I'm guessing that the answer will be no. Because the the issue is, with a lot of the people that say, you know, we've got training, we've done communications, they don't have an understanding of what change management really is, they don't understand what the what the components of change management involve, and how deep you have to go into people's mindsets and behaviours and habits and change them, etc. There is very still very much a lack of understanding by the C suite, unfortunately, of what change management is. And because they think it's a training communication, we're not going to spend money on that. Why should we budget for that sort of thing? You know, the, we can we can get our project manager, who's a great project manager, yeah, doesn't know anything about change management, but they can manage um, projects, uh, uh, the training and the communication stuff. Um, and it's and this is why I'm I'm doing the PMI chapter sessions. Is it's trying to get that message across. Yeah. I mean, we're a relatively young discipline. You know, if you think right. about sort of the '90s and the 2000s when the sort of the size, the Hyatts, and and the Daryl Connor and you know um, Cotter et cetera all started their stuff, and how that became formalized in the 2000s, where then sort of um, organizations started thinking about, hey. This sounds good. We're going to start using change managers. But what it seems to me like, it seems like it hasn't progressed that much from there. And we, as change managers, are still fighting for a seat at the C-suite table. We're still in the process of convincing people that change management is a good thing. But unfortunately, you have the ostrich syndrome where people just stick their head in the sand and... (laughs) Listen.
0: <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's, that's well, well said. And here's a, here's a really good question. I'm not going to pop it on the screen because it's a bit longer and I, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. And it's from Laurel on LinkedIn. You can probably see it here on your chat, yeah. uh, Ron, but I won't pop it on the screen just so it doesn't cover our entire faces here. Um, but um, uh, she, she talks, so Laurel asked a question and, and mentions that In her experience, change management holds programs and projects accountable for business benefits in ways that aren't well understood by PMs or the stakeholders. And then, Ron, you mentioned that this creates a sort of conflict or Uh, conflicting goals and priorities on a project. Have you seen examples of a time when a project has been accountable to the business benefits and not just the delivery of budget, scope, budget, and schedule?
3: Yes, I have. I was involved with a project for, um, sorry, my, my light's gone out. Your light went out. I was involved in a project for the um, manager of the UK's um, rail network. They were combining um, 11 record centres into one centralised record centre. And um, the main business benefits was the the vacation of the 11 record centres and the cost involved in maintaining them, renting them or whatever. Um, So there, the project or program was held accountable for the delivery of the business benefits of getting those properties, either you know, ending the rental, ending the uh, or selling them, etc, etc. So yes, they were held accountable, even though I was responsible for the business benefits management. <laughs> but right. the, 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 the project, the whole project and program, yeah, was held accountable for that. And it was, a—I mean, it was millions and millions, because I mean, you think about 11 properties across the UK from the south of the country to the Scotland. um, And they were really big buildings, because they held all of the um, paper records of bridges of signalling of deeds of the land they owned, etc. And yeah, it was an interesting project. And they were accountable for the business benefits for delivering them. Yeah.
0: It's so rare, though. I mean, it's cool that you you have that example. You've got some some case studies there, but I feel like um, it's not very common. Would you agree with that, or or how often do you see that sort of focus on business value, business benefits, ROI, benefits realization, whatever you want to call it, versus did we implement on time or on budget or not? You know, yeah. how often do you see that focus?
3: Well, the the business benefits is an interesting one, because I mean, I, again, include in my training, because as a change manager, I've been responsible for business benefits management, but um, in a lot of projects I've been involved in, it's been the the, the responsibility of the the programme or the project, and they don't do it very well. (laughs) I'm afraid. Um, And one of the problems is with business benefits, you start to hopefully you start off with a business case. Okay, when a project kicks off, you've got a business case. And within that business case, you've got your business benefits, you know, the the reason why we're starting this project in the first place. But unfortunately, what happens is that projects never go to plan. As we know, (laughs) there's always going to be some complications within the project timeline. And what happens is people never revisit the business case when that happens. So potentially, the benefits change over time. So the business case basically needs to be a living document as such. And if you feel that whatever you've done, or whatever has happened with a project, if you've underestimated the complexity, at the beginning, and all of a sudden you think, hey, this is going to take a couple of months to sort out, um, how are the business benefits connected with this actual um, thing that's happened in the project? And if they are, you need to go back and rethink your benefit, the business benefit. But that never happens. So the problem with that is that creates this conundrum about f- success or failure. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you can you could have failed against your business benefits in the business case, but well, the project changed halfway through. So right. well, we were actually we were actually um, um, you know we were successful. And you know, and the, and I think this is where the oft-quoted 70% comes in. <laughs> but then right. the other question is, how do you measure success and failure? And I could talk about that all day. You know, there's no standard way of measuring the success of a project or the failure of a project. I mean, project managers would say success is time, cost, quality and scope. Change right. managers would say, um, we've hit our usage and adoption targets. Right. What is it? What is what is the what is the change? What is the success? What is the failure? And that's a difficult one.
0: It is, and I think that's uh, that's not just a change management or a change manager issue. That's more of a that's also a overall business vision and strategy and goals. Like just having a clear vision of where you're headed. Why are you doing this project? What do you want to get out of it? Um, it's more than it, just moving it's... to the cloud. It's more than just deploying technology. It's it's instituting some sort of measurable change within your organization. And too many organizations don't really understand or articulate what it is they want to
3: get out of transformation. So isn't that
0: part of the problem too?
3: It is, it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a joint thing, to be honest, you know, um, and the change manager really does have to have a fairly big say, because if the, if the change manager is measuring business readiness and the, and, and, and the project goes awry and the business readiness measurement starts showing that the business, is going is not ready, um, and the the scores and or, or the, the way you're measuring it is starting to go down. It's part of the whole negotiation process between the change manager, the project manager, the steering group, etc. And um it's it's a difficult one because in my experience, um you know take this tight the tie project i mentioned the um uh, the sap implementation when i raised the red flag for training um they just ignored it i said doesn't matter we'll sort it out after we go live and they must have spent a fortune on actually retraining etc so um the 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 the, the major the, the major thought processes of a steering board or program board is we must go live on right. the date we said we were going to go live, right. regardless, regardless of what anyone says. Yeah? Right. And that was the case. And it's unfortunate, but it, that that happens. Yeah? And as a change manager, you have to live with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very true. It's uh, a lot of organizations will say, come hell or high water, we are going live, we're going to hit our budget. And that's okay. You want to be aggressive on one hand, you want to have parameters and controls and accountability in place, but you also want to be mindful of what is the impact to the organization. Sometimes organizations will spend yep. a lot more money fixing the mess later on uh, mm-hmm. that they created by going live on time and on budget when really maybe they should have just, you know, taken the hit back then, spend yep. a little bit extra time and money on getting it right versus the yep. business impact yep. that happens later on. Yeah, uh, yep. absolutely. Good We're here with Ron Lehman talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management. We have a lot more to cover, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
2: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our Thought Leadership section. Hello,
0: welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, as well as LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter we're here with our discussion having a conversation with Ron Lehman talking about the fundamentals of organizational change management um, so I wanted to get to a couple uh, questions that I had for you Ron about um, just different a couple different things within a, a general generally effective change management framework so let's talk about okay. change agents what what are change agents how do how do change agents fit into a change program we've talked a lot about the change manager now let's talk about change agents how does this change how do agents. I
3: regard change agents as a critical part of the change management process, because as a change manager, you can't do everything yourself. You know, it's right. impossible. And in my experience, I have very rarely had a team of people um, that work with me like change analysts or whatever, it's always been me is the change manager. Um, and so I've had to make use of the resources that are available in the business. And change agents are a great asset, if you choose the right type of individual. Okay. um, And the way I the way I would go about it is, what are their roles and responsibilities first? Yeah. Okay, what are they supposed to be doing? Um, Which part of the business do you want the change agents to um, help manage? So, and you've got your you've got your um, um, impact analysis. So, you know, where the, the bigger impacts are in the business, maybe you want, you know, the change agents to focus on those areas and where the lesser impacts are, you maybe don't need the, you know, the change agent or possibly less time from the change agent. The only change, the only problem, the problem it's not a problem. Change agents, I would normally try and secure from the middle manager um, um, part of the organization and you know um unfortunately fortunately is that the right word i don't know um they they a lot of middle managers still have the command and control right. um thing up here and yeah. being a change agent is not about command and control it's about empathizing it's about mm-hmm knowing your stakeholders about supporting them and so forth. So they need to be coached, they need to be trained in what change management is, to understand how they need to act when they're in a change agent role. I normally, when I when I when I've used change agents before, it's been a 50-50 split, so 50% business as usual 50% change agents. Yeah, And, you know, I've had to get these people up to speed with what change management is, so they can focus on how best to help the people that they are the change agent for. So change agents, absolutely important. They're the eyes and the ears of the change programme, because you as the change manager sat up in the office with the project team or whoever you're sat there with, you can't be out and about all the time watching what's going on. So you have to rely on this army of um relatively good trained, trained, hopefully, <laughs> um, change agents to help you. Uh, they know the business, they know the culture, they know the people, you know, and these, they're probably these are the people, they're the go to people. You know. They don't even have to be a middle manager, I've sort of said middle managers are probably ones that I've used most before, but they can be an operational person, um, who's been with the business for a long time, who knows everything and everyone and who can point you in the right direction and who can tell you who, you know, if you have a question, I don't know it, but they'll be able to answer it for you. Those are the sort of people you need. They are invaluable, to be honest, because they are another arm to change management. And oftentimes they're more credible than the change managers.
0: Not that the change managers don't know what they're doing, but it's more You've got a change agent that's a mid-level manager on the front lines working side by side day to day with the people that are going to actually go through the change. They're just more credible and they have more uh, trust, I guess you could say, in a lot of ways. Credibility,
3: than- trust. And yeah, absolutely. Those are all sort of, um, um, um can't think of the word, things you're looking for in a change agent. Yeah, They have right. to be credible because people look up to, if someone's been called a change agent, they look up to them. They're the, th- they're the people that I'd have to go to to ask questions or to give feedback or whatever. So I have to trust them with what I want to say. Yeah, I'll have to trust them. And that's a big deal.
0: Right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's a question from uh, Ryan on LinkedIn. And this actually alludes to something you were talking about earlier, Ron, about uh, (laughs) being brought in late. So you're sort of starting off behind when you come in late, you know, when when someone says, hey, let's bring in a change manager now that we're halfway through our project and now that we're starting to see how difficult this change is gonna be. But Ryan's question here is if, if when you are brought into a project late, how do you go about helping them change direction so they can move forward in the right direction?
3: Well, the first thing is you have to ask why they brought you into the project. What is the problem, Yeah. The normal normal answer is, well, we're facing a bit of an issue with people and resistance. And we're also not able to communicate with them in the way we want to communicate them because we could with them because we don't have time because we're focused on the technical side of things. Okay. So what I do as an example, um, I worked for GlaxoSmithKline, head office move in, in, in Singapore, 800 people um, from a high rise in the centre to a purpose built, all singing, all dancing, technologically advanced buildings, purpose built building. And um, the, um, the, 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 the issue there was I was brought in late, because people didn't know what they were going to go into, what they were actually going to have to do, how they were going to change the way they work, because it was a Wi-Fi only building, there was no hardwire connections, yeah, mm. um, and it was you needed to know how to set up your printer, you needed to know all sorts of different stuff. Okay, so you focus. I focused on what is the main things they need to go. We want them to walk into that building and we want them to be able to be ready for work before lunchtime. So that meant, first of all, you have to log on to Wi-Fi because if you can't log on to Wi-Fi, you can't do any work because it's a Wi-Fi only building. Then printer, log on to your printer, different port adapters for your laptop, you know, how do they work? Very absolutely simple, really simple stuff. How do they work? Oh, my goodness. And, um, so focus on where the problems are, um, learning and development, you know, what kind of materials are we going to give them? So we opted for things like hard um, A, A, A5 um, laminated how to's, which we put onto desks, you know, in this, in, in this all singing, all dancing um, um, environment, laminated how to's was the most successful form of communication. Yeah, so focus on what's what why you were bought in and then you know try and plan against those problems to solve those problems. It's not always possible because you're going to change be chasing your tail, you're going to be firefighting, all sorts of different things. Yeah, um, and it was very similar here in Thailand when I did the SAP implementation. Um, they had done one communication, I started in February, they had done one communication the previous November. And that was it. That's all the business knew. I said, the first thing we need to do is get some kind of awareness out there of what the hell's going on. Yeah. And then I said, what about business readiness? Do we have any indication of, 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 of whether the business is ready? You know, because it's to me, it seems they like uh, we don't understand what business readiness is. <laughs> okay. okay, I'll explain it to you. So focus on the problems, focus on what you know, as as an experienced change manager will help solve those problems and implement them and don't hang about just do it if you have to do it yourself do it yourself right Uh, yeah
0: so yeah it's one of those things too where if you redirect if needed if you redirect some of your effort your time your budget to change management and you have to skimp a little bit on the technology piece or you have to forego that one extra module or that one extra bell and whistle that you think would be kind of cool to have in your your transformation i always say that you know that's better just to get a, a lesser technical solution in place that yeah. you've managed the change to really well than having a better technical solution that you can't implement well because you haven't managed the change so i think you just have to find that right balance as an
3: organization yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it's 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 a hard gig when you get bought in late because you know you. You're forever thinking, what can I do next? What can I? Do? How how can I? How can I improve the situation? What what do I have to do? You know what? And the other thing is, get out there and talk to the stakeholders and ask them what the issues are. What right. are you finding the issues are? Yeah. yeah. And if they if they explain to you, you know what the problem is. We had a problem with um, an SAP implementation for Manitowoc Group again in Singapore, and there was a problem with the communication in Australia. So we delve down into the detail and we found that the person who was supposed to be cascading the communication to their people wasn't cascading the communication so we cut them out of the process and we sent the communication direct boom done answer the next month business readiness measurement went up cool right Done,
0: right <laughs> absolutely now william on on uh william on youtube has a follow-up question related to this thread which i think is really interesting uh, but does c-level Per, do c level perceive less risk to their job if they go live on time and on budget, than they do in fixing in post? So compared to taking longer initial than ex, than expected. So in oh, other right. words, is it are you are yeah. you do people fear that they're more likely to get fired? Let's just rephrase it. Am I more worried about getting fired because I was, I wasn't on time and on budget, or am I worried about? worried about getting fired because I was on time on budget but I completely screwed no, up. The and and, and
3: unfortunately, unfortunately, C-suite will will never renege on a go live. Never. Mm. Yeah. In my experience, even though I've proved that the business weren't ready, even if I prove as as I proved here that the training wasn't adequate for them to go live, they will never renege on a go live. It's only when there is a major issue where know, as I mentioned earlier, complexity is underestimated or whatever, that they may say, Okay, we'll have to delay, or there's some issue with um, with, um, you know, solution design or whatever. Um, But in my experience, I have found that, you know, the change manager has a voice. But whether that voice is heard, or not, is another matter. Right. But in my in my opinion, it is better to make that voice heard, rather than not make that voice heard, regardless of the consequences. Uh, and I have to admit that you know I've made um, my voice heard, and I've been asked to leave, um, big deal, right. you know, I've, or I've been kicked off the steering board or whatever. Okay, if that's the way you want to have it, that's fine. You know, if you don't want to listen to me, you brought me in because of my expertise, yeah? But now you're not listening to me, even though I've got data to support what I'm trying to say. Right, right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of times i found that it's helpful, if you can, to paint a picture of what the risk is or what's at stake if you go live when you're not ready. I think it's one thing to say, hey, you're not ready, we should delay the go live by 60 days. Okay, well, all I'm seeing there as an executive is I'm seeing more cost, more time, And I'm not understanding what I'm getting in return for that. And so if you can quantify that and say, here's what's at stake, not just are we not ready, but because we're not ready, we risk not being able to ship product. And here's what that impact would look like to our organization and to the bottom line if we can't ship product or if we can't service our customers. So I think a lot of times you have to quantify it and, and paint a picture of what the risk
3: is as a change manager you're kind of the whipping boy or the whipping girl you know yeah. everything everything rests on you oh it's the change yeah. manager's fault you know it's not right. the project manager they've done everything they can it's that bloody change manager who's sort of said that they're not ready or the training was rubbish or whatever you know you, and you become the whipping boy and that's right. the way it is and you have to have a really hard skin to be a change manager really hard skin but right I don't do it anymore. I just train it.
0: <laughs> right. Right. You got tired of being the whipping boy, right? <laughs> uh
3: yeah, now now I um yeah, I I tell all these home truths to my trainees and they love it. They they like the they like the home truths. They like the way, you know, the practical side of what I say and um, you know, it because yeah, the, it, the cause it helps them because they yeah. have a view of what change management is. Um you know, maybe they sort of, you know, look through the, the site catalogue or they may have looked through the APMG catalogue training or whatever. And right, I, right. I here, John Cotter's now actually bringing out a certification programme as well. And they look mm-hmm. through that and they can and then I look through and they speak to me and I say, no, nah, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't deliver that kind of training. <laughs> you know, right. what you get from me is, you know, it's just like a wig. What you see is what you get, I'm afraid.
0: Right. No, that's, that's good. And that works for a lot of people, I think. And I think more people should consider that, that approach. Uh-huh. Um, I have, I have one sort of wrap up question I was actually going to get to right now, but I have to ask this question that is from the audience. That is a really good one that I couldn't, I would, uh, I feel like I would be letting people down if I didn't a- ask this question. This is from Laurel again on, on LinkedIn. A trick, oh, the question trick question! To I saw
3: that. I saw that. Can you do? And I love this oh. topic. I
0: think we could probably spend a whole hour on this. But <laughs> yeah. but can you do good change management on a bad change? So in other words, if you have flawed technology and you do um, really good change management, can you still be successful?
3: I suppose you can in a way, so long as you um, highlight the risks to the stakeholders and the fact that you know what the what the delivery is that you're going to get is not actually what you were going to get in the first place. Yeah, it will only help you with 50% of your job or you know, it'll only help make your job 75% more efficient. So yeah, and that is all about honesty and transparency. Right? You know, don't say you're going to get a wonderful solution that everyone loves and everyone's going to you know, use it and, you know, and adopt it, etc. Tell them the truth. What you're going to get is half of what we said you're going to get. Yeah. Right. So yes, you can do it. I don't know whether you'd call it a good job or not. <laughs> right, right. I, I would call it honesty and transparency. So, yeah. you know, and you do the job to the best of your ability, basically. So,
0: right. Well said. So just to sort of wrap this all up and tie it all together as time has flown by, which I had a feeling it would, um, we could spend many hours talking about this. But <laughs> just to maybe summarize a little bit for those that are getting started on a change management journey or perhaps they're interested in the field or the discipline of change management, learning more. What do you see as the most important components of effective change management? You know, I know we don't have time to dive into what each of these components might be and how to apply them. And that that's the kind of stuff you cover yeah. in your course, of course. But um, what do you see as the most important components? If you, if you had to pick like three, three deliverables or three activities within change management uh, you think are right. the most
3: important? One, what what are the, one of the words I regularly use is involvement. You have to get stakeholders involved in the process. So get them to be part of the process design team. Get them to be part of the solution design team. Get them involved as change agents. Yeah, Because they will learn so much from that activity And that knowledge will be passed out when they start talking to their peers, etc. So the change management message spreads. The other one I mentioned quite a few times is openness, honesty and transparency. Never, ever try and keep things away from stakeholders, because the grapevine in the organisation will work a long time before you get the official communication out, and what you ha- what happens there is again you're fighting against um, uh, false news, yeah? fake news as they call it. Right. Uh, so involvement absolutely necessary, honesty and transparency in communications, even when it means people may be losing their jobs. And the network rail um, uh, example I gave, people were going to lose their jobs. And I had an argument with a program manager about whether we should communicate the fact that they should lose their jobs. He said we shouldn't, I said we should. He went to the HR and he came back with his tail between his legs and said, yes, we will have to um, communicate with them. So I visited every single record centre and told them face to face that there would be redundancies. So that's Probably the three, Mate, there's loads, loads of other things, obviously, but I think those right. are the three that I would um, focus on.
0: Yeah, if you're just getting started or if you just you focus on three things to, to get started in your change initiative, yeah. those are three yeah. really good ones. Yeah. Well, good. Well, well, thank you so much for being here, Ron. Really appreciate you, you taking a late night out of your, your evening. And uh, <laughs> thank you to the audience for being here as well. Really appreciate your feedback and, and great engagement, great questions. Um, one last thing for you, Ron, how can we learn more about your highway of change, uh, training course?
3: Right. Okay. I regularly post on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm putting out a post tomorrow for, because I've just changed the name, as I mentioned earlier on from the fundamentals of change management to driving change management. Um, you can reach me on my email address, which is ron.lehman at the highway Um, you can contact me by WhatsApp. Every time I load something onto LinkedIn, I always put my connection details in the last few slides. Um, I'm here. And I welcome people to connect with me on LinkedIn, because the more connections I have, the more I can spread my message. So just contacting me, whatever, you know, whichever way I, 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 I leave my WhatsApp number, um, which I kind of favor using. I leave my, um, as I said, my email address um, and so forth. So sure, just hit Great. me up.
0: All right. Thank you, Ron. Great conversation. Really appreciate you being here as always and uh, look forward to having you again at some point in the future. Um, so we've got a lot of debriefs and takeaways to cover from that conversation. But first, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
1: Give me the to wonder
2: download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. You can find new episodes every Wednesday. so we just had Ron Lehman on the show, Kyler, and uh, we talked about the fundamentals of change management, tried to get into you know some of the nuts and bolts of it. All. Although anytime you talk about change management, there's a million directions you can go. And we went close to a million different directions in that conversation. Or what, what were some of your takeaways from from the uh, discussion there?
2: Well, I think it was one of the first times that we've really, really dug into what is training and what is change management. And many times, you know, change practitioners don't always love the idea of talking about the, the fundamentals of actually training employees, because change management is not that, right? It is an overall campaign that may involve training, but it certainly is just a small aspect of, of that being um, successful within a digital transformation. So I really liked that he kind of brought that element into showcasing that training plays a, a main part in OCM and is really important in change management, but you have to have that awareness that it's only one piece it's not going to be the actual metrics of success for your digital transformation and i really liked how he kind of explained the relationship to the two
0: yeah yeah absolutely and uh, that was something that we haven't really talked a lot about in this podcast in other change management discussions and i like that as well you know how it ties into project management and business process management and even the technical work streams and just how it all fits in and how it should fit in. And he he also did a good job of describing why it's difficult for it to fit in too, and and just knowing that it's not as easy as it sounds. And even though it sounds good in theory, a lot of times there's resistance or other organizational dynamics that, that create difficulty in creating that sort of integration between these different work streams.
2: Yeah, um, my favorite part about Ron is how he laughed at all the questions. And then I found myself laughing with him. So I just love yeah. his like jovial joy that he brought brought to the overall podcast. So thanks, Ron. Um, but I also think I that so I, do. Yeah, I also think that that he hit on something so important and it's often overlooked when you're working with system integrators or vendors in general or change practitioners. You have to be a business process expert for that business and understanding that there is a technical side to being a change practitioner. If you don't understand that, if you're just going in and utilizing a template that talks about company culture and kind of a kumbaya approach, that's going to be important, but it's certainly not the most important of actually understanding the business as a whole.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, that's why having the Broad, it's it's hard because you want broad knowledge, you know, on these sorts of projects, but you also want deep knowledge, and that's always the tricky part. Is how do you get the specialization and focus and depth, but also the breadth and understanding of how the entire end end processes work and what the big picture impact of the organization is going to be, and all that, all that good stuff.
2: And I think that's something that not to like toot our own horn, even though you know that's kind of my job to tell everyone how awesome third <laughs> stage are. is. But we we take a real yeah a real team approach when it comes to change management. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of other consultancies don't do. Is you have that technical aspect of something coming in to really audit and evaluate your processes that software specific expert and then a change association in general so we treat change management as a full digital transformation not just a change initiative i think that's really where a lot of businesses in that 27% that we talked about last week that haven't achieved digital transformation success they lack that i think they really lack that fundamental need for a full change team approach in in that diversification
0: yeah Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, again, it's hard because, you know, technical people, project manager types aren't always going to think change management first and change management people aren't necessarily going to think about technology or program management first. So it's a matter of structuring the team and first of all, making sure you've got the right competencies as, as a team, knowing that no one individual is going to have it all. And when I say as a team, I mean, both your internal team, as well as your, Third-party consultants. If you were to hire a company like Third Stage, for example, um, how do you how do you, can you leverage that third party to help augment and fill out the roles that you need and the competencies you need? And then how do you structure it from there? How do you create the right, um, you know, governance structure and integration and collaboration structure as well?
2: Absolutely. Um, and I I think the last point I really thought you guys did such a good job on was just the overall evolution of project strategy. You know, and having that alignment and commitment to uh, almost an agile and flexible approach. But at the same time, you need that foundation concrete vision to kind of stand upon and how the house is constructed on top of that foundation will, you know, be fluid. But the foundation and dedication to what you want to achieve is really
0: critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree.
2: Well good. Well we lo- I loved Ron. I thought he did such a great job and I loved the um tie goodbye as well. I'm always fascinated by people that can just learn other languages, um, and that and that yeah. their brain works that way. But I thought he did such a good job of of really breaking down those fundamentals of what is change management, how do you activate it, what should it look like in your organization, and how does it fit in the overall overarching strategy.
0: Yeah, yeah. He did a nice job of that and and of course his his training course is designed to go into that in more detail as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a good conversation to talk about, you know, how you execute change. I think most people listening probably understand the need for it, but but how you do it is always the the tricky part. So hopefully we started to scratch the surface on that, on that thread. Well, good. Well, that was a, a great conversation. And just as a side note, uh, last episode, episode number 105, we had another interview uh, right in the middle segment at the same spot that we just had, Ron. Um, After the opening segment um, of episode 105, you can find an interview with uh, Frisco, Weiria, when we talk about change resistance and how to overcome change resistance. So uh, if you like this whole change management thread, you might want to go back to episode number 105 uh, as well. So next, we're going to shift gears pretty dramatically and move from organizational change management to software evaluation and software selection. Uh, More specifically, we'll talk about, uh, we'll play a clip, Kyler, that you had an interview with Christy Barber um from our team from the third stage consulting team talking about quickbooks versus netsuite not only the comparison of the two products if you're considering either of those products but also more importantly how to go about the evaluation process and what some of the considerations are and how you might go about the whole uh, evaluation process so we'll sort of use it as a quickbooks versus netsuite case study which is a common uh, decision point for a lot of small and mid-market companies but we'll do it in the context of how to, how to s- select software so we're going to play that clip when we come back from a quick break, but first we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success,
2: turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the U.S., Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And speaking of Kyler Cheatham, uh, she recently hosted an interview with Christy Barber from the Third Stage Consulting team. Uh, Christy is a manager on our team, and she regularly helps clients through their software selection process. Oftentimes, it's organizations that are looking at QuickBooks versus NetSuite. Oftentimes, it's other, other systems uh, beyond that. Uh, but what we wanted to do or the reason we wanted to play this clip is not only if you're interested in either QuickBooks or NetSuite, but more importantly, if you're going through a software evaluation process, what are some of the things you should consider? And we'll do as, do this in the context of a, of a comparison of two products, the, in this case, QuickBooks and NetSuite, and we'll we'll sort of dive into it from there. So with that all being said, let's roll the clip here.
2: Uh, So specifically today, we are going to be talking about QuickBooks desktop and the migration onto the internet version or the the web version uh, with Christy and kind of talking through what that means for our small business community. So Christy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me absolutely we're very excited so if you could just give our audience community a a quick background on how you help our clients and and your specialized role here at third stage
4: yeah so i predominantly work with small businesses um helping them move off of quickbooks onto an erp solution looking at processes where do we need to make some more efficiencies finding those gaps where current software isn't uh, hitting the mark, and then looking for other softwares that can possibly do that. So a lot of times making a best of breed solution on that. Um, So yeah, extensive accounting background coming at you today. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we need that for our QuickBooks conversation. So kind of to start us out, you give us
2: the status of this kind of new development in the QuickBooks
4: ecosystem yeah, so last year, QuickBooks announced that they were going to get rid of their desktop version in the u k. So this doesn't one hundred percent affect us base, but you're always looking at, hey, is this coming our way soon? And so they decided that as of january thirty first of twenty twenty three, desktop um, version of QuickBooks is gone in the UK and you have to move to QuickBooks online or you would have to move to a different financial package, whether that's an ERP or a different solution if you don't like the web version of QuickBooks. So what
2: would be the difference between, like what are some key functional differences between QuickBooks
4: desktop and QuickBooks um, on the web version? There's quite a few. QuickBooks desktop, I think one thing that's nice about it, if you have poor internet, you it doesn't require anything. Yeah. You can just hop on your computer and go similar to like an on-prem type deal, mm-hmm. but the reporting is better. You can search within reports better. You can set them up the way that you want them. Whereas QuickBooks online is Uh, more wants you to export it to excel and then manipulate the data there so like a good example is I can go into QuickBooks desktop I can look at my P&L and I can you know drill down let's say I want to see all my repairs I can sort that then by name of vendor I can't do that in QuickBooks online I can only sort by date memo and amount and so therefore you have to export it to Excel, kind of look, see what you're looking for, and then go back through into the web version and do that. So there's there's little things like that that are, eh, this isn't the best, but it, it I mean, it's doable. Um, QuickBooks Online, also is slower to use. There's a lot of hang time, and that is something that they are trying to make better. They put out an announcement, I think it was a month or two ago, about how they're trying to put some more R&D into making their solution quicker like other softwares are.
2: So what is the reason behind that migration? Because it sounds like there are kind of some pain points around the desktop versus the online version. So what is kind
4: of the the mentality behind discontinuing the desktop version? So their reasoning behind it, this is coming from QuickBooks, is that you are not staying compliant when you're buying desktop because you can buy... Like a good example, I have a client right now, they're on QuickBooks 2018. There's no need to update because they don't do bank feeds. They don't do payroll from it. They don't do payments. They're just keeping it as a bookkeeping system. So therefore they're not out of compliance. They're just, you know, keeping it like a check register. Mm -hmm. For people that do get bank feeds and different feeds that would come into the QuickBooks, then that part is they, they can be loosely non-compliant I guess they would just be having to hand enter everything in Mm -hmm. instead of getting a feed so I have another client they are on QuickBooks 2019 and they're that way they're like well feeds don't work anymore oh well we're just going to keep using this until we're at a good place where we can upgrade to a different software because the newer version of QuickBooks desktop in the states is a subscription model so it's kind of a hybrid cloud desktop so you're paying yearly for a desktop version, because QuickBooks is trying to say, well, that way we can keep you compliant. Um, So yeah. So it sounds like from not only
2: the the user side, because we know that the UK has a lot of strict compliance regulations. um, So that would make sense, I think, for that marketplace. But it sounds like they're also trying to move to a SaaS-based model that we we know is kind of the evolution of the business model for software mm-hmm. vendors or our core ERP vendors. Would you say that's that's correct? That's,
4: yeah. And I don't know if you remember, there's a there's a software out there, zero, and they came out trying to be QuickBooks competitor, oh gosh, probably like seven, eight, eight plus years ago. And mm-hmm. they were always cloud-based. And it was a new thing. And that was before QuickBooks really went into the cloud side. They were kind of, you know, putting their toe in the water on it. And I think people are starting to see as we're moving to more SaaS-based, it's easier. Because if you travel and you have, you know, a different laptop for travel versus what you have Mm -hmm. in your office, you could easily log in, get something done. Whereas you got to wait till you get back to the office if it's a desktop to be able to print a check or look something up. So there's a lot of pluses with online for that respect.
2: Absolutely. As long as you have that connectivity, which a lot of yes. times I think, and, and obviously you would know much, much better than me, but specifically in our global emerging markets, that small business connect- connectivity can be a really big challenge. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to businesses that are considering a more basic financial system like QuickBooks that might be in a marketplace that doesn't have a ton of that infrastructure in place?
4: And I think with that, at least for in the U.S., you can stay QuickBooks desktop and you would just go on the subscription model where they have it broken out by how many users you need. So, for example, I think it's like 500 bucks a year for two users. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could move to a model like that. The other thing I have seen is they put it like if you have a really good infrastructure inside the company, you Mm -hmm. put it on a server. And then you have a virtual machine that logs into the server to be able to access it that way. Um, I've seen some things like that.
2: So with, with that, and knowing that this is a, you know, a migration or a push towards um, more of that internet, internet internet-based system, is this a time when these types of companies should go through an evaluation to see if that software still makes sense for them? Or what would you recommend from that business advisory perspective?
4: Yeah, I think that it's kind of a great place to be in a lot of ways, because how many companies out there where you kind of been wavering of, oh, should I keep this another year? Or should I really look into a more sophisticated software to be able to get the company where it needs to go? And I think this is that kind of the fork in the road. Do you want to stay and then just move to an online version if you're uk or us to subscription base or do you want to start evaluating is there something else out there that's better based on the needs of my company and i know you and i have talked about this on previous Mm -hmm. podcasts too of um when we get to inventory and how quickbooks doesn't do inventory and is your company heavy based inventory and you're having to do it in excel or like fishbowl or various add-on to quickbooks that kind of does the job but doesn't quite hit it Mm -hmm. exactly and that's that's another good time to start looking at it and
2: and we talked kind of about inventory so i want to expand on that just a little bit what are some other sort of key components that might showcase that a business is ready to kind of graduate from
4: the quickbooks um overall uh system So inventory is always one. Second is reporting. Are you getting the reports that you need to make business decisions? QuickBooks is limited. You get your basic P&L, balance sheet, some of those, but with ERP software, you can have specific reporting by department. You're you're doing more cost accounting where QuickBooks can do kind of a hybrid cost accounting by class, Um, so that makes it a little, you know something that you may be looking forward to in, a, in an erp you can also do like budgets um erp softwares let you do budget versus actual so you could make a budget in an excel spreadsheet upload it to your erp software and then it's comparing the actual to it so at the end of the quarter the end of the month you can see hey did i hit my marks am i on par to get our goals um, those are like i always think the two really big mm-hmm. ones And is the accounting software that you have today meeting your needs? For example, if QuickBooks doesn't have the roles, sometimes the roles and responsibilities that you want to hold back and view only here or edit only here for certain people, and you can get that with an ERP.
2: Absolutely. I I think that makes a a lot of sense. And and kind of on the flip side, when we talk about budgets, specifically when we talk about costs, obviously an ERP system, a core ERP system, or a a bigger best of breed financial-based system can be a a significant investment um, for smaller businesses.
0: Okay. We're here with an interview between Kyler Cheatham and Christy Barber from the third stage team talking about QuickBooks versus NetSuite, as well as how to go about the software evaluation process. We have a lot more to cover, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
3: If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group.
0: back to Transformation Ground Control. We're here playing a clip between Kyler and Christy from the third stage team discussing QuickBooks versus NetSuite as well as how to navigate the overall software evaluation and selection process.
2: Can you talk a little bit about just the overall balance of understanding that QuickBooks still is a very sophisticated system and, and might be the choice for the client? Um, but also understanding that they could go into a greater functionality with a core ERP um, for a greater cost. So how do you kind of weigh the balances
4: of the pros and cons of that switch? A lot of it comes down to cost. You know, how much money do you have that you could allocate to a new software? Does it make sense now to do that? Does it make sense to kind of look at it get an idea of what something would cost and then save towards it and i know we've talked about that too mm-hmm. of different ways that you can purchase software whether it's you're getting a loan from the bank or you know various ways that way that you can move towards it there's also software out there so a good example is netsuite netsuite has a begin like i call it the beginner package of an erp so if you're a smaller company like five hundred thousand and under there is an ERP system for you. So it's kind of just moving slowly into that. It's more um, the finance package of it, but it could be a way that it's a easy spend. Mm-hmm. And then that way, as you grow into it, you can start bolting on the other things mm-hmm. your, your business needs.
3: And that's Absolutely. a way to start.
4: And some of the other softwares are that way too. I mean, you can have minimal users, other ERP softwares. You have to have X users before the solution would make sense.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's always a challenge for our small to even medium-sized business community uh, to have kind of that cash capital on hand, mm-hmm. to be able to purchase some of these bigger systems. So I'm curious to hear as we, we talk about QuickBooks moving to a SaaS model. We see a lot of other cloud-based systems, you know, coming out um, to really migrate onto that latest and greatest um, SaaS system. Is SaaS cheaper for these types of businesses in the fact that they can kind of spread the wealth, if you will, it is more of a subscription as
4: opposed to a bulk licensing fee right up front. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? So QuickBooks is... Different in that way. So compared to an ERP, so ERP you could have a subscription model. You pay every quarter. Mm-hmm. You can also do an on-prem and you pay X dollars up front and then you have you know your license subscriptions and or not license sorry maintenance subscriptions that you would pay. QuickBooks has always been hey I could buy QuickBooks. 2000 and it's still going to work today because nothing's really changed about it i can still write checks make deposits and look at reports there is some added functionality that you know that's come over the years but it made it a lot easier for small businesses to afford an
3: mm-hmm. accounting
4: software where and even then the entry point isn't that expensive you could buy you know one for 250 300 dollars on the pro and plus side and then when you move enterprise then it's more money, but still looking at that. And then you say, hey, now you got to move to an online version of QuickBooks, which is, I think they run like $50 a month. Mm-hmm. And you think about that over the years, how many updates are really coming that I can. This is how I always think the accountant in me that gets cheap sometimes. How many <laughs> updates can I see that justify me paying for this $50 a month subscription model? Versus the desktop that I had that I don't, it gives me some updates mostly for security purposes, Mm -hmm. but that's it. And it does everything I need it to do. And I think that's where a lot of small businesses get to that model is why do I want to spend money on something when this meets my needs today? And QuickBooks is eventually going to force people to, to make a decision. And if you can get ahead of that decision today and start preparing internally down to like a change management part of, can we accept the change that we're going to have to move to a SaaS model eventually? And what does that look like for our organization?
2: And can you elaborate on the change management part? Because um, I think a lot of times change management, specifically in small businesses, are is misunderstood because they are smaller and they think right. that, you know, just an email, we're moving to this, you know, good luck to you and right. <laughs> the fact and they often don't have a ton of budget to invest in those change management tactics. So can you kind of talk about how important that is and maybe give an example of what you would do in in migrating to a QuickBooks online version versus desktop from a change standpoint.
4: Yeah. So with the change it's really just getting people on board for something. It's not saying it's one way or the highway. It's getting buy-in and helping your employees, whether you have only one employee or you have 100 employees, that they are invested in the decisions that the business are making and they see the good that's going to come from it. They also are able to see, hey, this isn't really going to affect my job and make my position go away. It's going to enhance my position and make things easier or um, I'm allowed to spend less time doing certain tasks so i can actually catch up on these other tasks that i've been wanting to do so i think Mm -hmm. that's like the whole encompassing part of change management and a good example of how you could help your accounting department move from desktop to a SaaS model is explaining what this looks like how you know what are some fears around it what are the pluses that are going to come from it for them and is there training that's going to be involved because they've always used desktop they've never seen online version what is that going to look like and even for if you move to a erp system there's there's going to be that transition too so whether it's quickbooks online or it's a SaaS model erp for finance there's still going to be this tribal knowledge that you have of how your accounting department works today and how you're gonna bring that into something new and share that within the team. Um, yeah, I think about that a lot of just, most accounting departments, they run the same because it's, you have AR, you have AP, mm-hmm. but then you have unique things about what your company does. Do you do consolidations? Do you do rebates? Do you have, you know, different things like that that start making it unique and complex in some ways. and. I think helping people understand what that looks like and to get buy-in. And good example is a client I worked with a few years ago, they were moving to a new POS system Mm -hmm. and they were going that route first before they were getting, you know, any other financial software. And there wasn't any buy-in and everybody thought this new POS system was going to get rid of the cash cashiers. And it's like, no, we need you. This is why we need you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, putting together a plan for that and getting the buy-in of hey, it's not key in every number anymore. It's hey, you slide a badge or you use your thumbprint to log into the register so we know nobody's using your drawer. Mm-hmm. And then here's how the touch screen works. Oh you can also hand key. And for some of the older people that have been there a long time, they're like, You're gonna you're gonna take my job away. And it's like, no, no, like let me show you how you're gonna really like this. Yeah. And training them to get invested in it just as much as the company was. And I think that was the downside of this smaller business was they make decisions at the executive level
1: Mm -hmm. and they don't
4: really communicate that to anybody else. Well, this is what we're doing and that's it. You better get on board. And I, I understand that because when it's a smaller business, you can't have too many, you know, people whispering, Hey, we should do this or that you have to make a decision. But When you're making that decision, you need to start getting the managers and some of the associates involved as well so they can communicate further down, this is what we're going to be doing and this is what it's going to look like, the plan.
2: Absolutely. And and how important is it to bring in kind of that agnostic, independent, third-party view within a small business community um because i feel like a lot of times specifically within erp software vendors it can be very challenging to navigate the sales narrative and understand that just because you don't know what you don't know you know just i don't yeah. know how to put plumbing in a house so i would call a plumber type of thing so can you uh, can you help us understand kind of your role and that value you bring
4: to our client community yeah so coming in and getting a different picture maybe than what you've had. Cause I know a lot of times, small businesses, you're going to get tons of emails from softwares all the time Buy us. We're the best, you know, or this is a new software you have to have. And it can get overwhelming and not understanding what is going to be the best fit for you uh, today and in the future, based on the goals that you have. And where we at third stage can come in and provide a lot of value is Let's evaluate what it, what are your business goals. Who are you today? Where do you want to be three to five years from now? Where do you want to be mm-hmm. ten years from now? And then work backwards from there to see yes, you know these softwares over here. These are going to be the best fit for you. These they would work, but they wouldn't be the best. And then continually narrowing that down and you know demoing the software like we always do with them to get a good idea. Yeah, does this fit? Do people like the look and feel of this software? Do they want to use it? The, is the sales process, are the, is this vendor somebody you want to work with for the next 10 plus years?
2: Mm-hmm. And do you think that in viewing that type of, of relationship, specifically when it comes to QuickBooks versus the desktop moving to the online version, is that advisory level still needed?
4: I don't think so. Other than if you're on the fence wanting to know, should I go QuickBooks online or is it time to move to a different software? I think that's where it comes in. Because if you're moving desktop to online, it's pretty simple. There's a button that's inside QuickBooks desktop that says convert to online and it will pull your data to online. And it's pretty hands off. But yeah, I think it comes down to is this, gonna, is this gonna meet the needs of the company going online? Absolutely. And, and would you view that that
2: migration as a new implementation as we often talk about things like upgrades and treating them like an actual implementation? It sounds like this might be a bit more turnkey.
4: Yeah, it's like a little mini integration. You're just making sure that all the data came over correctly. And QuickBooks has built a pretty good system to do that. For, for the migration from desktop to online, like not to be confused with pulling data out for other things. But yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, still it's, you know, it's kind of like the little engine that could, right? It always is, it's enough, but it becomes not enough really quickly. And, you know, that's part of Christy's role here at Third Stage is when it becomes not enough really quickly uh, and you need to meet business needs, avoid disruption, avoid lost revenue, Those types of things um, we come in and and kind of help through that evaluation, which can be very difficult, uh, not only in the evaluation side, but then understanding uh, the system integrator, the vendor, how the internal team, how those resources all work together can be a a very daunting and overwhelming process. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know, uh, I think at this point, Christy, are you the most tenured employee at third stage? Second. Second? Who's first? Adam. Adam. Oh, I know him, but <laughs> <laughs> for some reason I thought you were here before Adam, but nope. uh, you, you know, you, this is kind of your wheelhouse. This is the, um, the ecosystem that you operate in. So, uh, so thank you so much for sharing that yeah, insight. Um, is there anything else that you'd like our, our audience to know um, or some best, best practices, advice around QuickBooks or even small business technology in general?
4: I think if you can find the link, there is that where we talked about when it's time to move away from QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. I think that would be a helpful resource. Um, And we can put, we can layer that into this. Oh yeah, I'll put it in the description. Yeah, that's a good one for everybody. If you're kind of on the fence of wanting to know, do I stay or do I go? It, It would give you some helpful tips on that.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for being here today. Um, I highly recommend you follow Christy on LinkedIn um, and then check out her playlist on our third stage YouTube channel as she is always a a main guest and and can talk through a lot of the small business needs. Uh, You can also reach her out to her or or me directly, and we can kind of take you through our small business methodology and explain how we help.
0: All right. Thank you, Christy and Kyler. Good conversation, great relevant conversation for a lot of us that might be going through software evaluations, especially if you happen to be considering uh, either QuickBooks or NetSuite as uh, potential options. There's a few things we want to debrief and and talk about as a takeaway from that conversation. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Transformation Ground Control.
2: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our Thought Leadership section.
0: Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 106. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just played the interview that you recently hosted with Christy. And as always, you two are, are really good on screen together, and you always have good conversations whenever you have those. I know you, have a, you, you can almost create a Christy Barber and Kyler Cheatham series uh, because you've done so many good interviews with her. So that, that was another in the long series of them. But what were some of your uh, takeaways from that, doing that interview and kind of seeing it again here?
2: Yeah, K and K, we should make it like a sub podcast. Um, right. Well, I I think the thing about Christy, um, she is is incredibly knowledgeable, specifically in this space, and really is passionate. She's one of the you know founding people um, that we brought on at Third Stage because of her expertise and her entrepreneurial attitude. So I think that's why she's so comfortable having these conversations. Is that is what she does on a daily basis? Is goes into organizations, really kind of consumes that advisory role. And she's always so interesting to talk to because she's done things like she's helped hire CFOs for organizations. She gets on the Christmas card list. Like she's one of those consultants <laughs> that really becomes like part of the DNA of the organization. So um, not only is she knowledgeable, but she's you know really good at at articulating that. Um, and I think the thing that obviously when we look at QuickBooks to NetSuite. You're in a very high growth phase, and it often is is businesses that aren't sure about what to do next. Go to a net suite, go to an ERP system, um, do a best of breed solutions, and I think that can be really scaled to larger organizations as well. And just the fact that you have to map out and understand your overall strategic goals before you look at the next step. And the next step for the business down the street might not be the same next step for you, but understanding that unique needs and strategy of the organization is really that first step to software evaluation, not a vendor calling you up and saying, hey, you know, I see that you're a big business. Are you using QuickBooks? I'm NetSuite, please buy me. Um, That's not how really that should work. And I think Chrissy always is never... Um, scared to go head to head with the vendor because she's dedicated to really the the overall maximum business value for systems within an enterprise.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh yeah, she's uh she and others on the team too are are very open-minded and agnostic and independent and objective all those things that are in our DNA as an organization, but you're right, she's uh she's been a staple at the company since. I mean, she was one of the very first people we hired. I think three or six months after starting the company back when there really wasn't much of a company. So um, she's been with us now for, for going on five years. So uh, great to have her on the team. And that's a really good conversation. And, and uh, yeah, that's good. It's a good representation of the types of challenges. She oftentimes helps our, our clients solve too.
2: And the financial piece of, of growing organizations, as we know um, with third stage, can be very complex so having the ability to really understand what is our current state what do we have now what are the functions we are missing and is that going to be met our needs are they going to be met by another financial system or another application or do we really need to look at the business as a whole and think about something that is like a net suite that is a an erp system and then also some understanding the overall SaaS agreement. We talk a lot about that with our friend Marcus Harris, and and knowing what that looks like from a contracting phase, and really being mindful about what is this going to look like as far as business value, getting those numbers out to really understand what the investment is going to be. Because a lot of times for businesses going from QuickBooks to NetSuite, this is their first really large. Digital transformation. So taking all of those tactics that Christy laid out is so important. But again, when we look at a system like SAP S4 HANA, like you were talking about in your um, previous videos, that same sort of methodology of mapping out being consistent applies to that conversation as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that process she she describes and typically goes through with clients is relevant, whether you're looking at smaller systems like QuickBooks and NetSuite or whether it's big, massive ones, like you said, for, for SAP or, or Oracle. And, uh, you know, that that whole approach that she talks about, too, you can scale it up or down depending on the size of your organization, your bandwidth, your budget, all that stuff. I mean, for a big multinational organization, we've had software evaluations that could take six to nine months because you spend all this time analyzing, understanding the different parts of the business and how you're going to create that common operating model. And then you select the software that, that best fits that. For a smaller organization with maybe more vanilla needs or more straightforward needs, or they haven't gone through a bunch of M&A activity and a bunch of growth that has sort of complicated their their needs. A lot of times you you scale that down to where you can do a quick hit selection in you know three to four weeks in some cases. So, it really just depends on the the size of the organization, the complexity. But you're right; the overall framework and approach, and the mindset you go into with, uh, is relevant no matter what type of system you're looking at.
2: Yeah, that digital mindset is really important. And I <laughs> right. say that every episode.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I think you're you're you probably have a list somewhere of like all the triggers, like I all did. the the. Yeah. I have a weird quirk where there's just certain words that just trigger me, and I just don't like them, <laughs> and I start <laughs> I start sweating and twitching and things like that. So that is one well, of the digital mindset. <laughs>
2: Digital mindset, but if you are interested in hearing more from Christy Barber, we have a full playlist um, of her on our YouTube channel um, at Third Stage Consulting. Uh, You can hear from her. She has a really, uh, a plethora of backgrounds, specifically if you are a high growth entrepreneurial based business, she can go into systems culture and she's been, again, on our team for a very long time. So a ton of content there um, as a follow up to that conversation. And again, if you do have thoughts about QuickBooks versus NetSuite, pop them in the comments so that we can continue to aggregate them, have that conversation. And also if you have software um, comparisons in general, you can head over to our comparison playlist on our YouTube channel and comment there. We get a lot of great dialogue about different systems and we know those can be a really helpful roadmap for um, overall organizations that are going through a very important time in their business, which is software selection.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is a very important uh milestone in their growth trajectory, for sure. Um, Well, good. Well, yeah, be sure to check out those resources on YouTube. Um, The Third Stage YouTube channel has a lot of those comparison videos. Uh, My third stage channel or my YouTube channel, I should say, uh, my individual YouTube channel has uh, a lot of reviews of different systems as well. So you can check out either or both of those channels for for more info. Well, great. Well, thank you for another great episode, Kyler. And uh, thank you to our guests and to the audience for the great engagement, as always. Uh, if you have any colleagues that might be interested in this podcast, please share it. We'd love to get the word out and share the link to this video if you're watching it or share the the, the audio podcast platform um, version if you prefer. But uh, either way, we'd love to get the word out and we'd love to hear your feedback, too. So if you have any comments or uh, reviews you'd like to leave of the podcast in general, we'd love to uh, see your thumbs up and hear your comments as well. So thank you very much. As always, hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control. But we'll, we'll let it we'll let it roll. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pick up with uh, where I said shifting gears pretty dramatically. Blah, mm-hmm. Next segment is this. Okay. Okay. Cool. Thank you. All right. Sorry, Cassie. She probably already edited that entire thing, and now she's gonna go where you do <laughs> it. Did that explain it? I just still I yeah. don't feel like I'm artic- Okay. I, just I think
2: no. You you're doing great, and I I probably am making <laughs> your reassurance. Yeah. <laughs>